Welcome to another episode of Grief Talk. Everything you want to know about grief and more. I'm your host, Vaughn Solis. As an author, mentor, and bereaved mom since 2005, through guest interviews and coaching, here's where you'll always get great content that is inspiring and practical to help you heal after loss. Today's guest is Marie Antoinette Kelly, an author and award-winning artist who has done hundreds of commissioned portraits, as well as the art for the Angel Quest Oracle. She has appeared on multiple TV, radio, and podcast shows, and been published in magazines. In 2019, Marie Antoinette's bison portrait in the form of woven blankets began selling throughout Yellowstone National Park's general stores. As an author, Marie Antoinette's recently published children's book, Danny's Day in Heaven, teaches parents how to start the conversation with their children about death and that it is not something to fear, but rather our loved ones are never gone, as evidenced by the messages and teachings of people who have experienced near death and share what the afterlife is like. Okay, so welcome to the show, Marie Antoinette. I am so grateful that you uh, have agreed to uh, come on my podcast, and I've been really excited to talk uh, with you today. Thanks, Vaughn. It's so exciting to meet you. I'm really happy to be here. Yes. So for my audience, uh, this is the first time uh, Marie Antoinette and I are actually meeting. Uh, but um, the topics that we're going to be covering today are going to interest you if you are curious uh, about the afterlife. Marie Antoinette, as uh, an author, is here on my podcast today talking about her newly released book, Danny's Day in Heaven. And I'm going to be getting to that right away with Marie Antoinette so she can tell us what it's uh, all about. We're going to talk a little bit about your art in a bit because I did go to your website. All of your portraiture is absolutely gorgeous, but I especially love the ones that you express uh, soul and stuff through various ways. And I saw it immediately in the eyes and stuff, but we're going to get to that audience. I don't want to detract. So today, uh, we, for the audience, uh, just so uh, you can stick around, we are going to be talking about the value of understanding death, that it is not the end of life. We're going to be talking about messages from people who have had near-death experience, um, and dare I say, uh, to prove this. And um, we are going to be talking about how people can find inspiration uh, to share with their children, which um, I believe all of that is encompassed in your book, Danny's Day in Heaven. So I'm going to turn it over to you, Marie Antoinette, if you could give us a little synopsis of the book. First of all, it is a children's book. It is probably one of the first few on uh, death, the afterlife for children. I'd love to know why you wrote it. And then, a, and then a synopsis of the book in, in whichever order you want to start with. Okay, yes, you're right, Bonnie. It is the first illustrated children's book on the topic because it is tackling um, what happens when we die head on. And um, the reason I got into that is because it's a long story for me, but in a short couple of short sentences. As a child, I was very worried about death and what it would do and who it would take and how I would you know, be left in the black hole without the people that I loved. And that fear was strong for me until I was an adult when I found the stories of near-death survivors. And, um, you know, all those stories opened up such a world, the main one being the one of Daniel Brinkley, who was my friend, and he wrote a story called Saved by the Light that is based on his near-death experience. He had one of the most complete on record. He was dead for 32 minutes and then um, was resuscitated. Well, actually, he came back into his body when they were wheeling him to the morgue. 
And so um, that story is recorded in Saved by the Light. It even became a movie, a Hallmark movie starring Eric Roberts, the brother of Julia. And uh, again, all these stories, as comforting as they are about showing us that life goes on after death, they were all written for adults. And then combining that with the information that I was a child who really would have benefited from the reassurance that not just in a, a faith-based context of like, you know, the traditions of your family, we were raised Catholic, for example, but, but actually the way it's coming out now through the science, because, you know, the medical science is so precise now that a lot of people actually recover from, you know, deadly circumstances or, and have these stories to come back, their near-death experiences when they come back. And so mm -hmm. um, that information I felt was really important for children to know. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell us a little bit about, I don't want to give the book away, but just a really, I, I looked a little bit on Amazon about it and I did see the word bully and I was like, okay, so, um, so there, this is going to be packed with lessons, I'm pretty sure. So can, yeah, so just to sort of entice us a little bit, uh, who's Danny and what happens? Well, the character is, but it is a character that is adapted from the story of Daniel and Brinkley, but not exactly his story. It is based on the common elements that happened to him in his near-death experience, as well as these people that have now a growing body of evidence of the overlapping elements that people experience when they die. So these things are, you know, the the life review, stepping into the light that is overwhelmingly, unconditionally supportive and loving, uh, meeting a guide, having a, a meeting with your loved ones or pets that have uh, already passed, and then you meeting them again in the spirit world. Yeah, those elements are all in there. Uh, one a distinct ingredient that I borrowed from uh, Daniel's story is that he himself was a self-pronounced bad guy. He really was uh, very selfish before he had his near-death experience. And he said if, if he was raised in the Bible Belt, and he said if anyone was deserving of going to hell, it would have been him. And he, yet he still, in his near-death experience, discovered that he went into the light with that lesson of the power of love in his heart and the fact that he's a mighty spiritual being having a human experience. So I wanted to, of course, in child terms, I wanted to translate that. So the character 12-year-old Danny is a bully for that same reason, knowing that it's touching on the topic that you can, of course, have discussions with your children on afterwards, that you don't have to be good to earn your way into heaven or into the light. You want to be good just because you want to share the beauty of your heart's love and what you can create with that. But that's an incentive for yourself rather than a system of rewards and punishments. And so that ingredient touches on that idea that the, the support of spirit is unconditional and it's love that is the other side of our physical experience. But it is... Um, yeah. Something that everybody gets a chance at. And then you grow through the life review, seeing how you've participated in the miracle of your own life and the power of your own, you know, creating and co-creating with God, with the divine. Um, you get to see what you've done with it. And then from then, as your eyes are open to what you're capable of, people that have a near-death experience and touch that light, they want to do more. They want to love more and more deeply. And that's the message of the book. So here's what fascinates me about about you uh, is that already from a child, you were worried about death. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, I, I thought that was a normal thing. But having uh, asked a lot of people now with this topic, uh, there's a lot of people that never, never even think about death. So I realized it was a unique experience for me. That yeah, but I'm going to throw in here. 
So a lot of bereaved parents. So for my audience who don't know me, I lost my 22-year-old daughter to suicide in 2005. So I believed in abstract terms about the afterlife and had a spiritual practice at that point for 23 years. Okay, so you have a spiritual practice, obviously looking at metaphysics, which is more than the physical, where did we come from, you know, all that stuff. I'm not going to get into it here. But the the whole testing of the notion of the afterlife, as discussed, and I think Raymond Moody's book, Life After Life, I knew about that stuff. And it was just kind of, oh, interesting. But when my daughter Janaea died, okay, so the afterlife just took on a completely different meaning for me, and I needed proof. And every parent I've ever met, basically, whether they admit it or not, they want proof that their child and even in the cases of spouses and so on, most of us want proof that our loved one is okay when they've left us hands down. It doesn't even have to be a child. But I will say it is possible that losing a child makes us more desperate for this proof. So you'll find many bereaved parents going to mediums, actually even getting messages from their children, which does give them peace, contentment, and it does help us. I am absolutely not going to say the word heal here, but it helps us accept that uh, and be in our grief with just a tiny teensy weensy bit more comfort that they're okay and that they're not alone. And this is another big piece is we want to know that our loved one didn't cross alone because almost all deaths, not all of them, but a lot of them, the person is entirely physically alone when it happens. And that is true of suicide, by the way, folks. So no one commits suicide in front of a person. So it's natural to be very, very uh, upset that you don't know where your child is and you don't know if they're alone and and. Um, there have been authors, even mediums, especially a, a lot of mediums actually are come from a Catholic background and have been raised on heaven and hell. And um, some of them have espoused in books, and I'm not going to name anybody, but it was around the time my daughter died. And I was, you know, looking for all kinds of any book I could get my hand on uh, around the afterlife and stuff like that. And there was this notion that if you commit suicide, that's it, you're you're in hell. Yeah, that right. really upset me. And this one particular person who espoused this later changed their messaging and understood it to be different. And that is to follow up on what you've just said. You don't have to earn your way into the light, into goodness. It's lovely if you can find it in the physical incarnation. Yes. But if you can't, all will be forgiven upon the review and wherever you go next in the afterlife. That's one of the most beautiful lessons that I learned too, because, you know, these as, as students of metaphysical and, and the language of God, um, yeah. we all kind of search for that validation, I think. But the one I grew into understanding is these people that come back, including my own experiences of the other side, is the, the forgiveness is really mostly required from yourself to yourself, because the support yeah. of God of the divine of spirit is so unconditional and it's so overwhelmingly light and loving that it is a healing, it's a healing matrix that that you could step into to support yourself. And that when you understand the power from this perspective of seeing yourself supported by the other side rather than having to earn access to the other side, yes, um, 
you begin to unfold in a way that relaxes you about who you are and what you can do while you're living, while you have a life here. That's, that's a secondary message of the book. Just thinking about empowering children from very young ages with this knowledge. I read that you're a parent. I have uh, three kids. Yeah, two oh, daughters great. and a son. And I have two grandkids now. Oh, okay. So lots of children. Uh, so was that one of your primary uh, motivations for uh, wanting to write this book and inspire parents to start the conversation? Why is that important for you? Yeah, absolutely. Because well, it's funny you ask that because the story has actually been a long time coming. My friendship with then started in the 90s. And at that point, my two girls, my son is 10 years younger than them. So he wasn't born yet. And my two girls were young. And that they were the initial motivation because I was comparing what they were going through with what I went through at that age. And um, I really felt the natural um, inspiration of knowing that we have we have this opportunity to live and create and, and you know share our lifetimes with each other. But there is a context. We, we do go on after we die, like energy. We're, we're neither created nor destroyed. We transform into light, love, and consciousness. And so I raised my kids with that idea, and I thought that is initially what I came um, to write this children's book for. But it's funny how at that time, because this is the late 90s that I started the initial um, project here, um, at that time I was simply telling the story of others who have had a near-death experience, you know, Daniel and you know, Betty Eady and, you know, the people uh, that have written good books about this and, 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 and created the picture of the co continuum of life. But it was still outside of myself. And so I realized that the path didn't actually open because the book is only now published. And so I kept having to learn something. I feel like I was being guided from within to learn the lessons of what I was conveying in this book myself so that it wasn't a story that I was narrating for other people. But I had actually touched on the truth myself so that I could share with kids undeniable truth that life goes on rather than, oh, I heard it say and we must all believe. It's not a matter of believing at this point. Of course, you believe your own truth and your own insights and your own context for it, because that's a very subjective path, your own spirituality. But the very foundation of it, life goes on after we die. Mm -hmm. It is true. And I know that now in my being, because my life took me on that journey. Is there anything you want to share about that journey? Well, you know, several things. The, the two sides actually... They're both big stories. So I'll pick the first one that's in my artwork. I became, at that point, I was still a mom. I had been a science student. I'd gone deep into science. I'd won some national awards. And I felt guilty until that time that I didn't actually take my talent in science to in that direction because I dropped out of school um, after I got those national awards to just be a mom. And I was still confused about what I should do with my life until my neighbor moved and my neighbor gave me a video cassette that said, yes, you can draw. And she said, here, would you like to teach that to your kids? I said, sure, thanks. And I looked at that line and I didn't ever show it to my kids. I never watched it myself with that, that line, yes, you can draw, reminded me that I used to draw a lot as a teenager and it made me pick up a pencil. And that's in essence how, it, how this whole pot artist path opened up for me. I discovered that I was good at portraits and, and I started creating them. But doing the portraits, because it just spilled out of me rather than came from a place of training, it touched the, the language of my soul very much. And in that, I also, since it's a right brain activity to paint people, I started to discover, long story short, that as I draw people, especially people that are passed away, I connect with them and the information comes in. 
And the stories kept getting more profound to the point that, you know, as a science student, I was very much struggling with the idea that I couldn't rationalize it and I had no proof. And uh, how was I not letting this bubble off from my subconscious or what it was my imagination? And the stories just kept getting stronger to the point that I couldn't explain them with my imagination or my subconscious and the proof was there. So that calmed me down and I realized that was my own training to realize without having to die for it that I um, yeah. for sure had the proof that life goes on because people were communicating to their loved ones through me that through the artwork that I never met. I knew nothing about them. And so that was very cool. Oh, that's that's mediumship through art. So you actually do portraits of spirit loved ones. Somebody could uh, contact you and say, please, could you paint this portrait of my, my loved one gone? Yes, that's right. And, and I found out that was actually super beneficial because I was, I was starting to understand that if you look at your loved one, from a photograph, and there's good photographs now, the unfortunate reality is that these are always connected to the past because that photo was taken at some physical moment at some point in time that you remember them. So it's directly connected to your grief because in remembering them, you immediately, the other side of that coin is you lost them and they're not with you. So you're constantly reminded that they were once with you, but they're not with you now. And the beauty of doing a portrait is that I lift them out of that circumstance and I paint them on the canvas and I always make sure that I have the gift of creating that ubiquitous gaze where they look at you from any angle in the room. Oh, so they are now with you in the present, in a moment in time that is undiscovered by you. So you connect to their heart and their spirit without having a story of how you were once together and how you lost them. And that has found really healing for people because now they have a bridge to the heart or the soul of their loved one that is in the now. And from that, they can have conversations, they can have discoveries, and they can get confirmations of their own, yep. their own heart, without needing someone else to be in between it. And that's been a really healing aspect of the of the portrait work that I do. That's very interesting, because we'll, we'll sum that up uh, uh, when we talk at the end, uh, a little bit about your uh, resources and offerings uh, for people. But people listening to this right now, you can commission portraits and then send them to people around the world, can you? I can. Oh, my gosh. What a gift. Like, what a gift. And, and you're so right about the the last photos we have. Yeah. And I'm glad you said it in those words because every time you look at it and everyone has a last photo, it does become a problem when that photo never changes. Here's what happens though. So my daughter, she'd be 40 now. Yeah. And my son is 31. He just turned 31. So I, you know, every year or two, I have a, just a small five by seven frame and I tuck a picture of him into it next to her last, it was one of her last photos that I love. And you're right. So every time you look at it, and then, and then he gets way older, like he's now nine years older than she was when when she passed at 22. And so you're left with the pain of what happened, what happened. But then imagine if I lifted her out of that photo, because you know, in spirit, I, I stay young there. So now if I paint I, her in her spiritual self, she is yeah. young, and it's natural. Yeah. Now she's with you right now. Yes, I know. Expect for her to age, but she's at the same time very much her, and you can oh, communicate yes. with her. Her yeah. heart is there, available yeah. for you. Yeah, it's, it's really so, powerful. Exactly. So, so what? So that would be very helpful for the grieving, especially losing children. Um, but the other piece of that is, and you said it yourself, there's a gap, 
And what happens is I actually lost time. It's actually kind of good for me because it sort of affects me aging. I understand that 18 years have passed, but it's almost unbelievable that 18 years have passed. Well, maybe it'll keep me young looking, okay? Uh, I don't know. But right now we're sort of focusing on that piece. It never changes. So it does something weird and wonky with time. But I love uh, the idea of the portraiture, and I'll note that for uh, future if I I would like to look into that uh, with you. It's important with this children's book, and in your case, the losing your daughter. If we understand, you said yourself that when when it hits home, when you lose your your own loved one, it's no longer an abstract metaphysical concept. It's something you dramatically need to feel for as a truth for yourself. Yes. If we understand right from the start that this has... You know, it's a verified experience. Yeah. By this point, thousands, yeah. thousands of people around the world, then we can begin to trust the foundation and then put, in your case, put your daughter in that foundation and create a relationship. And it, it, while it, the pain is real because the pain is your physical processing and your physical self of her physical absence, you find a new spot for her spirit. Mm-hmm. That is almost like, oh, she went to summer camp and it's an extended vacation, but she's not gone. She's on an extended vacation and I will reunite with her. And the conversation takes on a, a softer uh, tone because it's not this dramatic um, clawing for survival that she's really, is she gone? Is she not gone? You know, yeah. she's not. Yeah. And you begin to rest and relax into it. And that heals the grief in a different way. Oh, I love that. Oh, I love that. Uh, yeah. Uh, so one thing I just want to add here really quickly, and then we're going to move on to NDE, is um, in saying that, so I've been blessed. My daughter did start visiting me audience uh, within hours of her passing. How did I know it was real? Because she gave me facts about her passing that police had kept from me. And um, I was able to verify. And so the visits were very frequent and signs and just wonderful, wonderful uh, things. I was uh, working with the angels at the time and ultimately became an alien angel healing practitioner. So I was living in that world for the first 10 years. And so visits, well, they weren't expected. They were always appreciated. She did show herself in the exact way you described, and we're going to go into NDE so people can explain it. I have seen that light myself from a past life regression, not a near death, and you cannot explain it unless you experience it, and um, I was shocked that I'd had this uh, past life regression basically at the feet of source. It was quite powerful, and it was when she was two years old. But that experience prepared me for her death 20 years later uh, because I knew instinctively, experientially, where she was. And then her visits, um, she radiated everything you just said, the love, the joy. And what's very interesting, although they're much less frequent in the last two, we've physically been able to touch in that dimension. And I don't know, probably that is my evolution, but I have found it very, very comforting to have been able to touch because up to this point, it was all telepathic. 
So just a fun fact, I'd never read about that, never heard about it with anybody connecting with their loved one gone about a physical touching, but I'm, a, I'm um, imagining other people have experienced this too. And it's, it's a, a little bit of, um, you know, a, two, a double-edged sword. It's just amazing. But then it's so brief and you know it, it, it will devour. Kind of, kind of, but I've learned how to manage that. Let's talk about NDE, Marie Antoinette, because I personally know a fair bit about it, but not to the extent you probably do. But why don't you uh, share with the audience, first of all, uh, what would qualify as an NDE from all that you have um, uh, researched and experienced and, you know, scientifically. So we're looking for the proof here, folks, of, of the afterlife. And then the messages and teachings that those you've come across even read about uh, share and stand out for you that influenced uh, your uh, writing even in Danny's Day in Heaven. Mm-hmm. Well, it's Raymond Moody, who you mentioned earlier that I coined the term um, near-death experience. And even though we call it a near-death experience, it's actually a death experience. Yeah. And these are people that have these experiences have actually been recorded as dead you know they flatlined there's no brain activity their bodies are declared dead yeah and then at some point after the declaration of them being actually dead recorded dead um their body animates again and they come back to life and at that point you know the processing starts and many of these people come back with the story of what their soul was doing in the time that the body was declared dead and um, there's many books about that and, and the yeah. overlapping elements. Everybody has a unique background, which really shows you that the subjectivity of the spiritual realm, because I, I believe the yin and the yang, I believe spirit is to matter as yin is to yang. They're equal and opposites. And so in the matter uh, world, you know, we have the objective experience validated by science and we can find, uh, you know, so replicatable experiments, the truth of our existence here. And I believe in spiritual realm, you know, there's the equal and opposite, the subjective element. That doesn't mean that there isn't a foundation of truth that we can all fit into. And that foundation is what I recorded in his children's book, which I mentioned earlier, the life review, the the unconditional love, these patterns that have come through the stories. But researchers are validating these stories and they are, um, you know, verifying that there is activity. It isn't just brain, you know, science has been putting a wedge in our experiences of our spiritual nature very much because you know we started to rely on it like a crutch like if science doesn't prove it is it still true we've had a spiritual nature forever because it's the other side of who we are yeah and the stories have obviously um you know come through the ages but they are now once again validating that it isn't just our brain activity when we when our brain stops and the brain is completely dead there is still activity there's stories of people of you know, the spiritual nature and where they've been and what they've experienced that it's, it's fascinating. Uh, I have read about people from different religious backgrounds, for example. So they may see and have a near-death experience. This is just what I've read. Okay. I haven't talked to people about it, but you know, uh, that um, is in an understanding and you know, in a, uh, in the context of that religion. So they may see a God that's their God and, and I'm not going to start naming it and stuff like that. You're saying some of the fundamental experiences are the life review, the feeling of the unconditional love, uh, the light going into the light, seeing a light. And some people experience a tunnel, but not everybody and loved ones being present. So spirit guide and always a spirit guide meeting them, right? 
Well, yes, and that is also conditioned by the understanding of the belief system that you were part of in your physical embodiment. And as you mentioned, and I left the book, you know, the book is here, um, is it as an open um, representation. It doesn't qualify the story through any particular religion. And as, as I said, that's a subjective element. Yes. People that have uh, been close to Jesus in their life, they will meet Jesus on the other side. But people that have been Buddhist or uh, connected to Krishna through their, you know, Eastern uh, cultures, uh, they would see that in the afterlife. And for me, that is actually a validation of the truth of the unconditional nature of spirit because it yeah. is allowing its the light to to come to you through the understanding of your own consciousness. Yeah. And it means, you know, it says in my father's house there are many mansions. It's 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 yeah. the appropriate mansion for you. It's you go there so that you can understand the next step of what God is showing you. Yeah. What the divine is revealing. And that's yeah. a beautiful quality of spirit. So further to what you're just saying, uh so in my earlier grief, very earlier grief, there is a doctor. He was based in Houston, Dr. John Lerma, L E R M A. His two books, he's a palliative uh, doctor and he wrote these two books basically gathering evidence of his uh his, his dying patients uh from any age, children to uh the aged. These were people actually approaching death. And so his two books cover the messages and what they're experiencing and seeing the closer they come to dying. Well, passing over, crossing over. And I want to just quickly say here, because I'd love to get your thought on this, Marie Antoinette. So some people I've met, and even I sometimes struggle with this, um, you know, especially when we have a spiritual practice and we know that, you know, life is ongoing just in a different form. And I believe everything you said, energy, color, consciousness, all that. So we don't, some people are uncomfortable Then, well, then we shouldn't be saying our loved one died or the word dead or even the word death. But then, but you see, I do say that I intermingle. Sometimes I say spirit loved ones. Sometimes I'll say deceased loved ones because it's a physical death and we can't ignore that. So I just wanted to get your take on that yourself. And if you intermingle words or what you think, but in, in Lerma's case, the body was physically dying. So he allowed and recorded at what his patients were experiencing, feeling and seeing. But what's really significant and what twigged me to this is when you said, you know, some people, you know, have a great faith in Jesus. Well, a lot of them who were like that did see Jesus at the end of their bed. Yes, right. And angels. And a lot of the children saw angels. And without a doubt, already loved ones who had crossed over. So there's always someone to meet us. Not too many of them talked about spirit guides so much. Um but they could be Jesus or your loved one. It's oh, just exactly. someone is there to meet you is the idea. Always. And so I've had to look that into a neutral term so that you can add your experience and quantify or qualify. Yes. But I agree with you. I think your point is really well taken that it, from my point of view, it is appropriate to still say dead or death because there is a physical ending. And I think that's why a lot of the confusion comes in this realm that people begin to mix the two realms. But I think they're distinctly different in equal and opposite qualities. Yeah. In our physical reality, that's why we grieve. We lost a physical presence of a physical love. Yeah. You have to relearn the language and then 
turn on the spiritual dimension so that yeah. you can get the spiritual conversation going yeah. with the continuity there. Yeah. I, I remember yeah. all my life, you know, I told you since I was a child, I was very preoccupied with death. And um, I used yeah. to, when I found out about the near-death experience, I used to kind of glorify that at first because it was the answer to my pain and my grief and the, and the homesickness and the longing and the memories I had oh. on the other side. And yeah, so wow. um, I learned the hard way, though, because in the first, you know, three decades of my life, I dismissed the physical, the power of our physical reality. You know, I saw it through, like, you know, the way people party and, you know, live in, in mundane, selfish ways. And, and, and it was an issue for me. And so I remember learning the lesson when my son was born. He had a trauma birth. And so he, I had a chance to die at that time. And I remember having spent so much time studying near-death experiences and almost like glorifying them. But yeah. The funniest thing, I woke up to the possibility of dying at that point for real. Like you're saying, when you lost your daughter, it hits you differently. And it was yep. no longer a romantic notion. And I remember I had the 30 and 60 seconds to live. I remember clenching my fists and going, because I felt the tunnel forming, you know, the whole thing, because I had been studying this. And I, I saw it coming, you know, the tunnel, the, the, the peace within it, the chaos outside of it. And instead of saying, oh, here we go, exciting adventure, I clenched my fist and I said, hell no. And I remember that came so from, from deep inside of me because I wanted to be here for my children. And that moment, yeah. of course, I'm here. And so they were able to yeah. save me. My boy was dead for two minutes, but then they were able to resuscitate him. And so um, I was out for eight hours and so, but came back as well. And I know that cured me because I know how quick and how effortless it is to pass to the other side once it's your time. But I yes. just learned from that moment the preciousness of being alive and having the opportunity to create here and to be here and to share here. Before we go back to the other side, it's a give and take. It's a figure eight. We don't have to crave one over the other because if we're here, there's a reason for that and we can participate with that. But we don't have to be separate. We can have a, a figure eight, a continuum. Yeah. And that's the message of that uh, book. Oh, by the way, PMH Atwater, she found in her research that independent of background, 60% of the people she studied, and she studied over 3,000 of them, recognized Jesus, even if they weren't Christian or had never studied him. And all these these um, spiritual experiences that we all have, they actually form a big body of knowledge if we learn to see outside of the little boxes that we are raised in. And it's really profound. It's a fascinating world. Yeah, I actually uh, referenced uh, some of her work in my first book, Divine Healing. And um, also, so I'll just say here, I don't always plug my stuff, but I will because we're talking about it. So my very first book I wrote uh, uh, over five years and published in 2011 is called Divine Healing, Transforming Pain and Personal Power. And while it documents what I struggled with and what I was advocating change for, and I'm advocating the same changes today because the same problems exist, sad to say, but the whole part two of it, the healing practice, it's a self-care healing practice, which my coaching is based on, came from my daughter and the angels. Wow. Basically. Oh, you are working in partnership. You are describing Absolutely. that partnership. I think they are very brave of you because Why? you have to physically set aside the grief in order to trust, to trust the language that's coming in through your heart. And that's where the courage comes in because courage is the language of the heart as well. 
But do you know what made me trust is um, I had already been working a little bit with the angels before my daughter died. So I wanted to briefly just say to you as a child and being worried about death and so on. You see, I would offer to you that that is your absolute uh, consciousness at its greatest expansion, uh, putting you in touch with your purpose at that at that moment. And uh, yeah. I, I do believe that, uh, that we get glimpses of what we're here to do as child, as children. And I was always a very curious child. I was a bit of a frustrated child. I was a super free spirit and all this kind of stuff. Uh, but um, I had a lot of experience uh, with uh, suicide attempts in my family. And so that somewhat prepared me, somewhat, for actually losing my child to suicide. But here's what I wanted to say. Um, also is that whole thing you talked about is, you know, like understanding when, when you were faced with your traumatic, uh, birth of your son and hell no, I'm, I'm going to stay here. I just want to say on that point that I believe that we actually choose our death, but we're not going to talk about that today. And many spiritual teachers talk about different portals that we have to exit and we ultimately choose the one. Um, but I also believe that um, we can say we've had enough and don't want to be here anymore and create a situation that will help us exit earlier. And when I struggled with wanting to be on the planet after my daughter's uh, suicide, one night, and it was probably within the first uh, two, three months, and it was probably the angels. Anyway, uh, it was it was around midnight, one o'clock, and um, I felt this. There's a moment I was asleep, but but there was this, um, you know, moment when you become, you're you know, you're extremely aware, and so you're in that state where you're aware that you're sleeping, but you're still aware and getting information, and this presence came to me, and basically asked me do you want to be here or not? And I knew intuitively, if I said no, I was going to go. I just didn't know when. And uh, it was seconds. It was milliseconds. And I said, yes. So like you, I made a choice, a conscious choice when an opportunity was given to me uh, to decide. And maybe something else would have happened. You know, maybe I would have developed an illness, a disease, but I am happy to say I'm uh, basically extremely healthy. And um, so chose to be on this planet. And um, again, I said you are brave. Thank you for doing that. I feel the courage in you. Thank you. Thank you. It's a lot to be up against. Well, my you know, work is all about helping others feel inspired. Uh, but at the same time, I appreciate and I recognize those people who don't want to be here on the planet. And for the people that don't want to be on, on the planet. And in Canada, we're looking at this very seriously. And, and although we're not going to dive down this, it's just acknowledging in Canada, uh, possibly by next year, we will be the most um, recognized uh country for offering euthanasia for mental health reasons mm -hmm. don't want to be here and I'm just waiting for that to happen because then I'm going to be doing an awful lot of work on well then we better change the conversation we're having around suicide but the point I am making and we want to stick to today is that 
losing a loved one, facing death ourselves in fear. Listen, do you think most of us are afraid to die, Marie Antoinette, and then we sort of instill that or don't instill that in our children? Like, I've thought about it my whole life, and I think there's two sides that I see in this is Obviously, the instincts of our body are afraid to die because the physical yeah. language of our body knows self-preservation. And yeah. that's, I think most of the people who are afraid to die are simply invested in their physical selves. They have not yet found the opening to spirit because their language of their body is the strongest language. I don't want to die. That's the self-preservation. Yeah. And again, also, when you just b- briefly mentioned that conversation about suicide and end-of-life um, actions of euthanasia, I think it's a dangerous road for that very reason, because most people that I notice who are living in existential dread or really have no purpose, it's because the, the, the faucet, as I like to call it, of light from spirit is shut off. They have not found because they are still reacting to the dogma or the pathways that have been handed down through our lineage or, you know, through generations and of like, say, Christian uh, um, uh, religion that's confining or they haven't found, you know, the world getting smaller, our traditions are kind of blending and people, they haven't found their own language of connecting with spirit. And I feel like you're saying we have to change the conversation. Mental health is a lot bleaker when you don't have access to spirit, which brings perfection, which brings love, which brings light, which brings your life back to you. I was just, yeah, I was just going to say that. I was just going to say it's just sort of the circular thing. So the more that we embrace what we're inevitably going to fake. The language, then they think they have to die in order to get access. Yeah. But they don't. That's the beauty of it. They don't have to die. And that's what I'm hoping to communicate. If children know from the start that the spiritual realm is real and life does not end, you don't have to die to get there. You can actually make sense out of your experiences. You don't have to shut it off. You don't have to only believe in the rational side of science, but you have context for all of yourself. And then yeah. life keeps regenerating and hopefully never even takes you to the doorstep of that that bleak yeah. dread of death. You know, what I'm thinking of while you're speaking, and I think we're saying basically the same thing when I say this, the inevitability of facing our death, which, you know, terrifies a lot of people, by facing it and embracing all of these concepts and truths, really, they're truths. They're not even concepts. They're, ac- they're, they're spiritual truths. Afterlife and everything we've talked about to this point actually helps you live the, the life you can dream about because that's what opens you up to manifesting and greater uh, consciousness expansion and just this awareness. The heart on to a place where you can love and freely share. Exactly. And the minute you have that faucet turned on, yes. stuff just keeps flowing. You can't help but live a life of goodness. Would you agree? Right? Absolutely. 100%. Yes. Put in simplest terms. And of course, you know, you can't make anything too simple like euthanasia. But that is why I myself yeah. feel so passionate about people understood the, the, the pricelessness of having a life that you can create with. Even if at the moment you're burdened by grief and despair, there are answers, there's insights. And this is why I believe prayer is so powerful because it's a way to talk to the other side and like pick up the telephone and get them to send something back to help you through. Because it is true, it's hard here, it's heavy here because this world is based on separation and increasing entropy, which makes chaos and pain, you know? And yeah. so the other side is the equal and opposite. It decreases entropy, it brings love. It brings, so, so pick up the telephone to the other side, say a prayer. Pick up the phone. They're waiting for you to call. It's interesting. It, it's actually interesting you say that because uh, on I think it's on Vancouver Island here. 
but it could be somewhere else. But anyway, there's there's uh, this idea of people have placed a telephone, I don't mean a cell phone, folks, a telephone in the forest or these specific areas that the grieving actually literally can go and do what you just said, pick up the, the physical telephone, probably from the 80s or something, and uh, or 90s, but you know, maybe the 80s anyway, and pretend they're or you know, envision calling their loved one. Isn't that cool? It is natural. Um, it's happened. Another thing I, I hope to accomplish with this book is to, to simplify the connection that it's very in the small things of our life. It's not a dramatic because everything with death is dramatic, obviously. It's, it's such a solid end, yeah. And therefore, but it's the little, the little deaths, the little moments of connecting. Because for one, one a story comes to my mind now when I was creating a portrait, and this is in the beginning stages so of when I was discovering that I was picking up on the other yeah. side, yeah. and I'm. Painting this man, it was a commission through the internet, I'd never met him, I didn't know his wife either, even though she had requested the portrait, and I was I was uh, fond of John Denver's music, but it was just an option, and I was having this compulsion to play John Denver's music, and I was like, oh my gosh, I got a peach, it's John Denver's music, <laughs> so I'm playing his songs, and in all these songs for phrases, the same phrases keep stepping out, I love my lady, you know how we sing that, yeah. language. I love my lady, and I miss her, but I love her, and so I started to get, I'm not musical, so I can't sing it, yeah, yeah. I started to get that this was a communication. This was a message. So I wrote the lady. I said, I hope you don't mind, but I'm feeling that um, your your husband is communicating to me how much he loves you, how much he's with you, and that you really shouldn't miss him because he is lo- more in love with you now than ever. Aww. And so she wrote me back crying, and she said every morning at 10 a.m., she walked their dogs playing John Denver's music and crying yep. her heart out because she was missing him so much. I yeah. said, well, if you kindly would stop missing him quite that much, I don't have to constantly listen to John Denver anymore because the message has been delivered. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we made yeah. a joke out of it, but this is what I'm trying to say is that spirit is subtle. It comes through simple things like songs, and 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 it usually comes with a feeling, with a pressure, I think. And the people recognize these simple pressures and simple inspirations, these simple thoughts of music, yeah. they begin to see how spirit is part of their life now, and they don't have to wait till they're dead, even though they can be reassured that when they die, this is the process, and you will come back to all of yourself, mm-hmm. even though you're only a part of yourself now. So beautifully said. The other thing, um, as we get to the top of the hour here, uh, and we could go on and on and on, and we can't, but you know, but the the other thing, and you've covered an awful lot, and I want to cl- I want to end on 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 one question, but before I ask you it, um, I was getting the distinct feeling, and I know from having done medium uh, work uh, for others, and what loved one doesn't want a message from their person in the afterlife, like everybody does. But uh, it is this consciousness we're tapping into. So I will say from having experienced and done, and when, when I used to do angel readings for people, I channeled. I didn't do cards and stuff. I channeled. And often people would say, oh, do you have a message from so-and-so or, you know, whatever. And you can't control who comes through, I'll tell you that. But in almost all cases, you feel you know them just like you painted, you understood, you heard the music. They're able, when they're vibrating at the point, they need to come down and meet us. 
and they can get through to us. They will contact us and give us messages for other people, their loved ones, that their loved ones will understand. But we also, as the messenger, you know, have to be able to interpret what they're trying to say. And and like you said, with the John Dever, like, what? Where's that coming from? And, you know, you and I both know the afterlife exists. We know our loved ones are there. Um, I chose per- personally not to pursue that line of work because working with the angels is my thing. There are enough people out there that that do that work, but I have never met anyone, Marie Antoinette, that does it through portraiture. So here's what I wanted to say about that. So for anyone that has a portrait and is longing for this connection, not just believing in it, but longing to experience it, I also believe that having the portrait would help them open this channel that they could literally start physically experiencing it. And I think that'd be so cool. And I just was feeling that as you were talking, because imagining looking at that portrait hanging it somewhere in your home, and it's always there and it's always present. And I would argue always changing. I just feel that the energy of it. I I just feel that. Yeah. When you said you paint it, you said you paint it in a way so that their eye always follows you. Yeah, that's the thing. Because I've I've been asking all these questions all the time. Like, God, why did you give me this gift when I was starting as a scientist? Now all I'm painting and all I can paint is faces. And and then then I started to research and I realized that it's a rare gift. Like one in, I don't know, I forget the number, but it's a rare ability for portrait artists to be able to to paint eyes that have what are called ubiquitous gaze. Like the Mona Lisa had ubiquitous gaze. She looks at you from any angle in the room. Yeah. And so that was the gift that just naturally came out of my hands. And I was like, why can I remember? And I realized now because the answer that came is because eyes are the window to the soul. We know that. And it's not just a cliche. It's really the way to connect to the soul. And so having eyes that are alive in a portrait allow you to connect with the soul of that person. And then you get the feeling like you're saying, well, it's a portrait and it's not actually going to change. There's a certain life to it that follows you and doesn't have a thought or a feeling. And so the inspiration can land. And oftentimes, as I've also learned through the um, experiences that like, why did this man not get through to his wife? She didn't realize that she was prompted to play John Denver, not to grieve him, but to feel his closeness. Yes. But it was her grief and her own doubt that turned yes. it in that direction. Yeah. And so having a portrait allows them a little bit of stability so that the grief and the doubt can be set aside and they can connect with something that has no grief or doubt attached to it. And yeah. it opens the doorway, like you said, it opens the channel Yeah, I would just offer for anybody and I have met people who believe that death physical death is just it. It's blackness. There's nothing no more. Don't 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 even think about it. They're gone. And so I respect what people believe. But uh, for anybody watching uh, or listening to this episode today, um, I would invite you to just think about that the more we can embrace the fact that uh, there is ongoing consciousness that science is researching and have been for years, but I think they're improving their research in quantum physics and things like that, that tie us to consciousness and you know, what keeps us alive as, as this energy form. Um, 
I think that I know, I don't think I know that just like you're saying, Marie Antoinette, it is a comfort. It is something to lean on in our grief. And um, it does make the passing of time allow us to invest a little bit more in ourselves instead of just our pain and suffering uh, with the years that we have left. And one of the reasons, and, uh, you know, when you say, oh, I think you're courageous, Vaughn, and stuff, yeah, well, okay, because I'm always saying to other people, it takes courage to want to heal. It takes courage to want to be more than we are, uh, you know, yesterday. And I get it. I get it. And I certainly get it in earliest grief and certainly traumatic grief and things like that. But I am just saying that my work and my commitment to be the best I can be in this life despite losing my child, I have a son and I never ever have wanted him to feel less for being on the planet because his sister has gone. But I will say that you have to understand and accept that child loss is devastating and we need to just call it, it's devastating and we love our surviving children, but we're still devastated. But when I thought about what she wanted for me, knowing she was visiting me and they're doing her part. Uh, they do go on to go and do other stuff, by the way, in the afterlife. So you'll find a lot of your spirit loved ones aren't going to be coming and hanging around with you like for years and years and years and years. And you have to let them go at some point. So in my case, she'll pop in when I ask her to pop in. And that might be the reason for the physical touch now, the, sen the, the sensation of the physical touch in these visits, uh, because they're a little bit more powerful but not as frequent. But at any rate, I wanted to be more for her. I wanted to be more for my family. And I ultimately am starting to understand I want to be more for me. And I want people just to think about that if you are, again, watching or listening uh, to this and struggling, because wanting to be more for yourself is is really one of the hardest things to do. But it's critical that you reach that point if you really want to truly heal. We, we, we cannot heal for another person. And trusting we'll be together again, trusting you'll be with your child or your spouse that was, you know, like the biggest part of your life or any other loved one that has gone on, that's what they want for us too. I guarantee you, I guarantee you. And that's why their messages are always the same and people will doubt mediums and stuff. Well, they just want me to be happy. They love me. And, you know, some of them are like, I'm sorry I left. Uh, you know, I had messages and other people who have lost children to suicide have had messages. I'm sorry, I didn't realize I was going to cause this much pain. All of these messages are valid and real people. And it's just up to us that we understand what they are. And I'll say this before I get to my very last question and then your resources is if you have lost someone, particularly recently and anything weird has happened, weird thoughts, weird sense, weird electrical stuff, weird anything, and you kind of go, what? Uh, take it as a sign. Take it as a sign. You don't, don't, don't spend years wondering. Take it as a sign. Now, I want to uh, ask you, actually, Marie Antoinette, one last thing. We've talked a lot. We've packed a lot in. I may have mentioned this earlier, but I just want to round out with it uh, because it is about Danny's book in heaven. It is about a book for parents to start the conversation. It is about uh, educating children. Uh, 
we've talked about a lot of the in-between about stuff that adults might come to think about in their life. Children, not so much. So why is it important for you that children, and at what age uh, is does Danny's book in, in Heaven sort of target the starting age group? But why do you think it's important that we start this, parents start this conversation with their children now when it's even so difficult for them to think about it for themselves? Well, that's a great question. Um, let us see if I can answer that accurately. For me, it is because the rational mind is something that develops in your teenage years, and that is the source of where the doubt is because you need all the proof and you need the linear um, you know, acknowledgments of everything you've been through that, that come through science. But mm-hmm. children, they have a very pure intuitive personnel or, or uh, nature when they are children, and mm-hmm. many children have connection with the other side. Yeah. And it's natural for them. So first of all, it would be wonderful then for them to have the support in the context when they're in that intuitive nature to let that develop at its own rate, to let that be supported so they don't have to learn to shut it down. And that as they grow into teenagers and the rational mind takes over, that it yep. has a healthy healthy foundation so that they have the, the, the two halves of themselves, the right and the left brain, and they are whole beings rather than just lopsided, you know, cynical, skeptical. And, and, yeah. and so many adults are becoming so existentialist because their cynicism is just too strong. And, and you mentioned, you know, for those who think that life is just going to end in a black hole and that's all we have, I really believe that those who who hold on to that in the face of this, this evidence and the lineage of thousands of years of experience is that they have a pain of their own. They have a, they've lost their trust because there is a foundation of trust to have the subtlety of spirit come into and, and, and accepting it, but they've lost their trust and that's a pain and it's a physical obstacle for them. And it's something they can, if they would pay attention, begin to, you know, heal because, um, you are so much better off when you have both sides of yourself functioning. And that's what I hope to give to yeah. children. If in a natural way they can stay open, you don't have to, like I was extreme having a fear and then having a complete, you know, desire to learn the other side, not appreciating this life and wanting to be on the other side. As I was mentioning, I glorified near death experience and they were both, yeah. you know, extremes again. I realized that if we just naturally allow our intuitive nature to have a place and our rational side, you know, my science background, these yeah. two can com- be compatible very nicely. And you have a very complete understanding of how to navigate life. And children need that nowadays. Life is so messy. It's so difficult. I yeah. hope it gives them an edge. I hope it gives them a benefit. Yeah. I love that you um, have the science background. Just as a reminder, you did train six years to become a medical doctor and and uh, switched that and said, I'm, I'm, I'm here to be an artist. I absolutely love whenever I talk to anybody that's coming from a science background, because um, I agree with what you're saying uh, in terms of we all want proof of something. And it's very hard to convince ourselves to do anything to make ourselves believe. And even with my background, I negated signs and messages I, because I just couldn't believe they would be happening. So uh, I was just discovering, because I was raised Catholic, and Catholic don't actually read the Bible, but I was reading some of the beautiful truths in there. You know how it says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the mm-hmm. evidence of things not seen. And wow. I realized that the language of faith, which has been polluted for a lot of people because of the have-tos and the dogma, but the language yeah. of faith is such a perfect 
profound way of allowing your heart to soften and to begin to trust the signs that are coming. Yeah. And, and I think this world is changing, Marie Antoinette. And, you know, we, those of us that are uh, in, you know, either thought leadership, uh, practitioners, spiritualists, coaches, you know, but doing artists, all of us, and there's a growing number of us that are already, you know, uh, walking the enlightened path because we chose it at some point in our life or it, it found us. And you can't turn it off once you find your enlightenment. You can't turn it off. You can only keep expanding and growing within that space. But uh, the other thing I just wanted to say is Danny's Day in Heaven as a children's book is also uh, the message is coming to me to share for the parents um, that I encourage you absolutely to get this book and we'll have a link for it uh, in the descriptions below to both video and audio in this podcast episode as well as a link to uh, your website uh, Marie Antoinette let yourself be a child again with your children as you're reading it if you're brand new to it and let your own mind take you where it needs to take you in terms of not convincing yourself but enlightening yourself to the degree you can today because I 100% respect and I'm so grateful you mentioned that children are so pure already are connecting with these entities and case in point would be the children that are coming in and remembering previous uh, incarnation for example and some of those parents um, if not all parents are kind of like hush now hush now and you know they don't understand it and kids learn, kids, you probably agree, kids are, are taught, unless we rear them differently, to shut up pretty darn quickly. So I think it's so beneficial to have this book. I personally uh, am so grateful you wrote it uh, in anticipation of one day having grandchildren. <laughs> yeah. yeah. One thing that I'd like to point out, because I remember in some of the training about, that I internal in my heart about writing this book accurately for children, yeah. you know, you want to be extra authentic and really make yeah. it so that they can feel. Uh, wow. And I realized, I remember one point asking myself the question, who am I to interpret heaven for them? You know, to say, this is what it's going to look like. And it, I struggled with that because I didn't want to say, I know, because that's from the head. And I realized it was my heart. And, and the answer that came was that what I put into the paintings and illustrations is very much the feeling of what I feel the other side feel like so that you can approach it with your heart. And you can recognize some of that feeling and then let your, you let your thoughts and your own uh, imagination take you into that feeling so that you can get the experience of spirit, uh, you know, experientially yourself without having to say, well, she knows, because it's not about what no, we know, no. it's about what we feel and how yeah. we participate in it. Yeah. Feel free, uh, actually, Marie and Antoinette, feel free to show us a few pages if you want, or you can leave it a surprise for people to purchase. I'd love to see. Oh, my goodness. Um, yeah. so, you just can you look through some of them? Yeah. Oh, my. Yeah. There's Danny. Boring on the beach, and then he ends up getting caught in a storm. Yeah. And the storm slams him on the water where he sees the light coming and he thinks it's the coast. Yeah. But it's actually a very different light. But it's the light of spirit inviting him in. He drops into it and he ends up on the other side where he has, you know, he meets his uh, personal yeah. guide and then he has his life review. Yeah. And he has um, a little after discovery. He meets his second grade teacher who was already passed yeah. his own yeah. little doggy yeah and then he gets sent back 
he got sent back. So the story had the happy ending that Good. allows children to feel, you know, it's not quite as intense as really having the finality of death as we learn it from our physical end. But yeah. he comes back with the message that oh. life goes on and he has a loving heart that he can, he can let out. Your colors are magnificent, I want to say. They're magnificent. It's beautiful. I truly believe that in our energy in the afterlife, because I saw loved ones as color. So um, color is very important, but it's not color necessarily that we see on earth. Um, beautiful. And oh, parents, I hope and grandparents, aunts, uncles, anybody that has children in their life or, you know, you just want to be comforted by a great kid's book. And those who are facing, you know, who are at the other end of the spectrum are facing their own death because they're, you know, on hospice. Yeah. Yeah. The simplicity, the colors, the feel of it is also reassuring either yeah. side, yeah. you know, either side of the spectrum. Beautiful. And um, so I'll be putting a link to that, uh, your book. It's on Amazon. And could people find out uh, from your website also where they can purchase this book? It's on my website. My website is makfineart.com. That is also if someone does want to contact you or commission a portrait at makfineart.com. Yeah. Okay. Uh, this has been amazing. I feel really energized. And I thank you once again uh, for the work that you are doing, the incredible portraiture you offer to people of uh, living or uh, spirit loved ones. Right. And um, well, maybe you'll be writing an adult book and illustrating that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, anyway. So thanks again, uh, Marie Antoinette. I just want to ask, did you have any last messages or did we cover everything you wanted to talk about? Yeah, it's been a delight talking to you. I also feel like we can continue our conversation because you, with your experience, have so much to share. So yeah. thank you for opening up and letting me on your show. Oh, absolutely. It's been a pleasure. Thanks again. 